0: All right, you ready, mommy? Here it is. This is, a rough one here. He was not only an author, a theologian, and a pastor, okay, but many consider him to be the genius behind the Protestant movement that freed the world from the shackles of Roman Catholicism. In fact, it's been said that if Martin Luther was the voice of the Reformation, this guy was considered to be the mind of the Reformation he was born in france in 1509 at a time when unfortunately again the roman catholic church falsely taught that you had to do good works in order to get into heaven instead of relying on the work of jesus christ alone on the cross Okay, And it was in Paris in 1533, at the age of 24, this man read for himself in the Bible the wonderful good news of salvation, that it is not dependent upon the works of man, but on the goodness and mercy of God, allowing his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And once he received that basic biblical truth that had been hidden... Bang, he got saved. He got saved in a big, mighty way. Okay, He was changed instantly. In fact, instantly he dived into devouring the truths of the Scripture. So much so that in just two years after being saved, listen to this, he produced, even to today it's considered, one of the greatest literary works of all time in church history called the Institutes. And it was literally the first textbooks on systematic theology uh, uh, covering the wonderful truths of the Bible, such as topics that I think we take for granted, okay, as the authority of the Scripture, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the nature of God, and much, much more that had been suppressed for centuries by the Catholic Church. But that was just the beginning of what this guy did. He was also used by God to begin to build churches and teach people to study the word of God, not the words of man, but that still wasn't enough. The next thing you know, he starts a Bible study institute in Geneva with around 600 students, listen, which single-handedly turned that whole town into a literal haven and study center for the word of God. How would you like to live in a town where everybody studied the word of God? This is not make-believe. This really happened. Can I move there now? I know you're thinking that, Sandra, but this is way back then. You can't go back in time like that. Okay, but, but that still wasn't all. Uh, the spread of his teachings not only went throughout France and England and Scotland, the Netherlands, Poland, Hungary, and throughout Eastern Europe. Listen, it has even been stated on record that the founding of our own country, the United States of America, and our particular form of American government and the spiritual backbone that used to be with the American people is as a direct result of this man's teaching. His name, of course, John Calvin, who usually in some circles gets a bad rap. Very interesting. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but wow, that's pretty cool. How many of you guys would say that John Calvin, after he got saved, lickety he splint, woo, he took off like a rocket? That was a pretty cool life as a Christian, right? In fact, how many of you guys would say, no, that is a life worth living for, right? And you know the premise, folks. That's the sad story of what's going on, okay? We got a problem, okay? Even though God's the same God and John Calvin's just as much, you know, his child as we are today, right? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What's the problem? Most of us today in the American church, what do we do? We read the Bible on the one hand, the same Bible he read. And we look at our lives in the other, and we're just like, man, something's wrong here. This, it's not, not matching up. It's not computing. Why do these people like John Calvin get to have this awesome, fruitful walk with Jesus Woo! And take off, man, and God you how come they get to do that and I don't. I don't have a life for living for, I got a life for giving up, right? As a Christian. But here's the good news this is what we've been seeing, folks. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life, believe it or not, is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to somebody and say, Hey, that means you. Happy Father's Day. Okay. Yeah, it's you. Okay. And that's why we're going to continue to study a life worth living for. And this is what we're doing. We're taking a look at the different keys I believe scripturally are pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks with Jesus Christ, just like, yes, believe it or not, John Calvin had. Now, we've already seen that first key to a life worth living for in these last days for Jesus Christ is when you and I rediscover how to experience God's joy. Why? Because we live in a joyless world. And when we experience on a regular basis God's joy, he's already given to us. It's like a moth to a flame. Woohoo! right? Who wouldn't want to have that? Okay, but that's not all. The second key we've been seeing to having that life worth living for is when you and I rediscover how to experience what? God's peace. He's not only given us on top of being saved from hell and headed to heaven. He's given us not just his joy. He said he's already given you his peace. And right now, woo, it's awesome. Okay, that's what the scripture says. Okay, the problem is just like with the joy thing, we can mess it up. Right? We walk around, you've got this joy, you got this peace, and we say, hey, come to Jesus, he's awesome, I'm so joyful. Or, Hey, come to Jesus, I, ever since I've surrendered my life to Jesus on the cross, like John Calvin, I've, I've had such peace with God, and five seconds later, you look at the news, somebody cuts you off on the road. <laughs> We're bugged out, freaked out, stressed out. It's, whoa, what happened? How do we get into that shape? And we saw it's not by chance. It's not just our own doing. It's spiritual warfare. Because can you... In our peaceless, joyless world, can anybody think of anybody who wouldn't want us to be that kind of a positive advertisement for Jesus? I didn't even have to do the fake voice. Give it up for Bobby. It's Satan, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that's a, it's spiritual warfare, okay? Now, the last uh, a couple times we saw, uh, the enemy gets us to do this in a couple ways. The last time he saw, the second way, was with a misplaced lifestyle, okay? And we saw he first gets us into that misplaced mind with the music and the media. And even though we've got God's peace, and if you just think on these things, God's things, you keep that peace flowing, but oh no. So then we get all frazzled, we get all messed up. And then, so he moves into this second step, this misplaced lifestyle, and he actually says, oh, hey, you got, you're you all messed up now. Music, media, music, media. Uh, here's how you get that peace back. Don't Turn to God, turn to things. You need a thing. This thing is what's going to provide that peace that you need in your life, okay? It's called idolatry, materialism, whatever you want to do. And we saw, unfortunately, he's using our secular school system and the secular commercial system to reinforce this even after we graduate and get out of that school system uh, to brainwash us into this lie. The scripture is very clear. Jesus said, he says, listen, if you live for this world and the things of this world, number one, the love of the Father is not in you, Number two, he says, this world, here's one thing you can guarantee, you will have trouble. So if you live for this world and the things of this world, you reap what you sow. You're headed for trouble, not God's peace. You live for Jesus and focus on the world to come, that peace keeps it flowing. Amen? Okay, But that's not all. The enemy is wicked. He's called wicked for a reason. The third way he tricks us into short-circuiting the peace of God, messing up our witness for Jesus Christ, is by having a misplaced focus in life. Where is your focus every day, Christian, when we get out of bed? Who's it on? If it's on God and if it's on other people and the things of God, you're going to have his peace, even when life goes awry. But if it's on you, yourself, and I, me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, you're headed for trouble. But I didn't say that, God did. Open your Bibles, this is our opening text, Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, and uh, we're gonna go back in that context we saw before, and this whole context, I wanted to grab it this time uh, in a bigger portion so that we could see uh, where does all this peace come from, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter four, of course, Philippians was written to, the Philippians, you guys are doing good. And we're going to start with verse 8 there. And again, I want to grab the context, okay, of this piece. How do we not only have this piece, but how do we maintain this piece? And we've seen a couple check, uh, sections before, but I want to take a look at this third one that I think sometimes we just skip over and, like, okay, that's the end, and we'll just move on to the next book. No, slow down. I think there's a third thing that we need to focus on, no pun intended. If we're going to maintain his peace, OK? so we'll get there. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. OK, how do we do that? Number Verse 8 says this. "So finally, brothers, whatever is what? True, whatever is what? Noble, whatever is what? Right, whatever is what? Pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think on these things. Put that in your mind. And Paul says, I'm telling you, it works. That's why he says this, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen, put this into practice. Why? Here's the payoff with your brain and the peace of God will be with you. So you think on those things, keep that in your brain, have a biblical mind, keep that peace flowing. Number two, we saw this before, not only that, I rejoice greatly, he says, in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Listen, remember, what's the context we saw last time? He's in jail. Bad jail. Rotten jail. You're stuck in a hole with some hay and rats for buddies. Okay, not like today. He's in a rotten dungeon, okay? He says, I, I, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to what? Be content. What's that? Peace and action. Whatever the circumstances and it isn't because well, he's just hanging on by his bootstraps because when he gets out He's got a billion dollars or he's got his fancy mansion. No He knows what life's about. He's had hard times. I know what it is to be in need I know what it is to have plenty I I've learned the secret of being content peace and action in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry Whether living in plenty or want what's the secret? How do you maintain it even amidst of those circumstances up down high low? I can do everything through who? Jesus Christ, Jesus who gives me strength. Now, number 3. This is where I think we kind of skip, but keep reading. I think it's pivotal. Yet it was good for you of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as the you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. What? How could churches not care about the need to share the gospel? How could you get so self-centered that you're not concerned about the things of God? Do churches ever do that? Yeah, but he goes on. He says, and he says, he says uh, except you. And he says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you, on the contrary, sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for the gift, but I'm, I'm looking for what may be accredited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm, I, I'm, I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Uh, they are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. So as we see in this passage before, I want to grab the full context. And you'll see, hopefully, here in a second why. But Paul, I think, gives us three important things that you and i need to consider right now as a christian if we're going to maintain god's peace on a regular basis i.e be content peace in action on a regular basis notice again what they were number one as we saw before we need to have a biblical mind we need to be paying attention to what goes into our ears or eyes that affects our thought life that it stays on the things of god when you think on those things peace of god keeps coming right we saw that before number two he says there we need to have a biblical lifestyle pay attention, that realizes it's not about the amount of things that you have in life that can bring you peace. Paul didn't have anything, he's in dungeon. And then even when they gave something, he says, hey, this is cool, but I'm really okay. But thanks anyway. In the dungeon. He says, it's not about the amount of things you have that brings you peace, it's in God. And seeking him and focusing on the world to come, even amidst your circumstances down here, that gives you that contented peace in action. Number three, this is what I want to bring up today. This is our study. Paul gives us, I believe, a third element to maintain God's peace, to flow on a biblical basis, and that's the old biblical focus. Try this. You guys try this thing? Have you ever tried doing that? It actually hurts, okay, but it's kind of cool, okay? Nobody tried it. It's apparently not that cool. Uh, but anyway, you get your goggles on. How about that one? Is that a little easier for you? Okay, whatever. Okay, but anyway, so you've got a biblical focus is what we need to have. When you wake up every day out of bed, what's your focus? Because you're focusing on something, something's driving you that day i.e. that's your focus for the day and the bible i believe paul says that the focus in life listen if you want to maintain this peace if you want to be a contented christian if you want to have peace in action on a regular basis then you need to have this focus in your life you need to be more concerned about the things of god and other people right that's what's going there in that third chunk you need to be more concerned i'll say it again this is the crux of the study the things of God and the needs of other people than yourself. That's what our focus needs to be. Why? He said, it was good for you to share my troubles. He says, I'm not really looking for the gift. Thank you very much. That's not really my concern. He said, I'm actually more concerned about this act of giving being accredited to your account. That spiritually, it'll benefit you. What? And really, he's saying this, I'm concerned about not so much my needs, even though you're meeting my needs, and I thank you for that, but I'm more concerned about how your act of Christian giving will benefit your walk with Jesus Christ. Isn't that mind-blowing, okay? Let alone focusing on the things of God. Paul is more concerned about their spiritual well-being than his own in a horrible dungeon basically what you have on here and this is a phrase you don't really hear much in our society and i think you'll understand why in a second this is a total act of selflessness let's say that selflessness right it's an act of total selflessness and according to the scripture it is pivotal if you're going to experience god's peace on a regular basis even in the midst of horrible circumstances and i wanted to give you a real life modern example Uh, John MacArthur, he tells about how he encountered a fellow Christian who had this biblical focus. It wasn't about self. It was about the things of God and other people. And he had some hard times. But in the midst of it, because he had that focus, he had amazing peace, just like Paul. He says this. He said, one time I was introduced to a gentleman. His name is Thaddeus. And he was on our cruise ship to Alaska where he had a major heart attack and almost died. And so all night, we held this prayer vigil, and and God was gracious to him, and he he spared his life. And he arrived safely in Vancouver. He spent a number of days in the hospital, recovering there in Vancouver, and and then later went back home to Colorado Springs. But once he got home, and even though he was still recuperating and still weak from the heart attack, he began to be strong in the spirit and strong in heart. And he began to call me in his loving and gracious way almost every single day. And he would call me up, and he'd say, hey, how you doing, John? And, and MacArthur says, well, I, and I say, well, how are you doing? You're the one that had the heart attack, not me. He says, no, 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 don't worry about me. I, I'm fine. I'm at peace. I'm content. Everything is well. I'm concerned about you. And he said, well, listen, I've been praying for you, Thaddeus. And he said, he say, no, 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 no. We need to pray for you. You're the one who needs our prayers. And I want you to know that are, are all your needs being met in ministry? Is God answering your prayers? What can I pray for? And this is how the conversation would go back and forth. And if I would call and say, Thaddeus, I just called to see how you were doing. He said, oh, no, 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 no. How are you doing? And he would ask me the same questions. Is everything well with you? Is God answering your prayers? He would say, and on and on it goes. How can we pray for you? A very unselfish man. One day he called me, he says, John, listen, God's really blessed my heart, and and he said, I just listened to a series of tapes you did on the family, and and I'm convinced that these messages have to get to the leaders of America. Every senator, every congressman, every Supreme Court justice, every governor, every person in the White House, we're going to send the whole album, the whole study book to every single one of them. We've got to reach them with the truth of God that's designed for marriage and family. Boy, is that a hot topic today, or what? And he said this, well, wait a second, he said, that's a great idea, but that's, that's a lot of Hey, that's that's a lot of money and he said this that is he said hey listen money's not the issue I'll take care of that. We must reach these people They need to hear the word of god and you preach the gospel in there So they'll all get the gospel and that's what we're going to do and I said hey, that's a great idea That's terrific and then later the same day He had another massive heart attack And in the midst of that heart attack, of course He was rushed to the hospital again and they decided to cut him open and do a bypass surgery and then of course As might be expected he survived And he came out of the surgery in an amazing recovery, and a few days passed, and he wanted to talk to me to see how the project was going. And so he took off his oxygen mask just long enough to talk on the phone, and I said to him, Thaddeus, how are you doing? He said, oh, no, 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 John, how are you doing? How are you doing? How's the ministry? You keep praying, because next month we're going to be sending those tape albums to all those people, and it's going to be interesting to see how every American leader is blitzed with the same thing. And I thought to myself, he says, At the times I had there with Thaddeus, he always said to me, John, I'm perfectly content. I have perfect peace. I'm not concerned at all about any of this. I'm always concerned about you. In the midst of his dire circumstances, he had learned what Paul had learned, how to be content. He was at peace and totally satisfied. Why? Because his life was perfect? No, Because one of the manifestations of total contentment is total unselfishness. A preoccupation instead of the well-being of others more than yourself. That is not what people are being taught today. Isn't that amazing? Okay. And so the question is, okay, I can see if the world doesn't get that, but come on, we're Christians, right? We know scripture we know how many times we read Philippians chapter 4 how many times we've we gone back I can do all things through Christ and content the secret high you. or did we skip over that final chunk there that said it's not just a biblical mind and a biblical lifestyle it's a biblical focus and that focus is not me but what does our world do our world says just the opposite don't they they say it's all about me and even in the church we're, we're infected with this and we wonder why we don't experience the peace of God on a regular basis. Only hits and miss, here's and there's. Because we are not more concerned about the well being of others and their needs being met. We're concerned just like the rest of the world about me, myself, and I, and all I can get. We're impacted by our culture, okay? And we wonder why the peace of God's not flowing, okay? Listen, God wants us to act like His children, He wants us to emulate Him. Is anybody glad that God was more concerned about our needs? Is anybody glad that he was so concerned about our needs he sent Jesus Christ outside? He wasn't just, hey, forget you, people. I'm sick and tired of you beating me. And he said, I'm more concerned about you to the point where I will now give my life on the cross for you. Anybody glad about that? When we do that as followers of Christ, listen, that's not only being a God example. We're content. We're outward focused. Now, what I want to share with you, we've talked about this before. When basically the enemy does the spiritual warfare point in this, he gets us to act not like God's children, but Satan's children. Let's take a look at once again what caused the fall of Satan. How did he go from a beautiful cherub angel, Lucifer, to Satan? Okay, let's take a look at that classic passage. This is Isaiah 14. How did it happen? Uh, Verses 12 through 14, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like who? God, the most high. This is the classic passage, one of them, about Satan's fall. Satan, obviously, not just wanted to be God. He wanted to be God because where was his focus? It was all about I, sin, S-I-N, what's in the middle? Every time we sin against God, every time we rebel against God, we're not just saying, God, I know what's better and what's best in life. But we're choosing I above God. We're choosing I above other people. Satan had an I problem. He had a, me, myself, an I syndrome, the unholy trinity, whatever you want to call it. It was all about what he wants, what he likes, what he wants to do, what he thinks is right, what he thinks is great. He wants to decide what's right and wrong. He wants to be God. And isn't that our world today? The problem is the birthplace of selfishness came from Satan is the issue here. And we've talked about this before. The number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. And this is how he does it. This is what he does, folks. This is all he has to do. God's already given us his joy. He's already given us his peace. He even tells us exactly step by step, here's how you maintain it on a regular basis. Even in the midst of a horrible heart attack, or you're chucked in a dungeon. Just do this. And all Satan does is no, do this. It's all about you. You, it's all about you, man. That's your focus every day. It's he gets us to be just like him, selfish, self-centered. We're only concerned about what we can get out of life. When we get out of bed, it's all about us and what I need and what you need. You get in my way. And the problem is it will not only destroy you, because that's what Satan wants. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. You act like him, you reap what you sow. But it will destroy the lives of others. I wanted to give you kind of a modern picture of what does it look like when a, a seemingly upstart American person is selfish. Because it's promoted, right? It's all about you today. Let's see that selfishness in action. You tell me if it benefits the person or the people around them. Let's take a look at the fruit. I have some new Me too. Okay, but me first. I've just been named partner.
1: I think I have cancer. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I just said? I have cancer.
2: This couldn't wait until tomorrow. What? How can you say that to me? I you love me. I do. But you're changing our agreement. You're, you're breaking our deal. You make it sound like a contract negotiation. Well, what did you think this was? I thought it was love. Grow up, Amy. Love is the most overused word in the English language. It's what we say when we want something, when we need something. And you're as guilty of it as anybody. We had fun. (laughs) You were my hot young girlfriend with the chic job. I was your upwardly mobile, charming, successful boyfriend. And we were together because we each got something out of the relationship that we wanted. And it was good. It was actually, it was great. But now it's over. How did I not see this in you? Because you saw what you wanted.
1: You understand that I might die.
2: I'm sorry about that.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Satan. (laughs) With all due respect to that, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I don't want to get an email. Let's put it this way. Single ladies, raise your hand. Ooh, wait. How many of you guys would love to marry that guy? Please don't raise your hand again. <laughs> your dad will be very disappointed on this day. Right? Excuse me? Folks, that is, wh- why? Why is that an easy blank to fill in? Are you kidding? That's one of the most unloving, cruel, s- selfish acts ever. <laughs> That's what Satan does. It's all about me. I don't care. You're dying of cancer. Who cares? It's all about me. You mess up my... Hey, listen. Did you hear me? I just got a promotion today. What are you doing messing with my... What are kids being taught in school today from We It's all about me. You wonder why each succeeding generation is getting more and more Selfish? because that's what we're putting in. It's selfishness. It's what Satan is. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like high. I will act like this because it's all about me at all costs. Who cares about you? But I wanted to depict that because it's crept into the church. And I only have the time for just the first way it's crept into the church and has done that with a false teaching. It's all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity today. Okay, and this false teaching on the planet has single-handedly given rise to the most selfish, selfish, egotistical, self-centered generations this world has ever seen. I wish I could say it hasn't infected the church, but it has. And that, I'll use this word, satanic false teaching is the false teaching of self-love, self-esteem. Self, that's Satanism. Now, you don't want to call it that, but we have been so brainwashed by our world that that's how you need to live your life. Now, I don't have time to go into it too deep, but we saw this. Where did it come from? Number one, self, I, 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 Isaiah 14. Fall of Satan. You don't want to emulate that. But we also saw that it was perpetrated. How did it get so impacted in our culture? How did it come into the church? We saw that it was picked up and continued on Okay, And promoted by such people in secular psychology, that's where it's coming from, guys like Sigmund Freud, who was an atheist, evolutionist, cocaine user, addict, and promoter who believed the idea that man had evolved from lower animals and the idea of God was just a myth made up by our forefathers to cope with life. Carl Jung was another foundational part of this lie, this false teaching, who himself on record, uh, secular research, when he was in trouble, he would talk to a wooden man that he made out of a ruler he called Mannequin, and he admitted he was also involved in seances and necromancy and communed with a demonic spirit that called itself Philemon, and he admitted is where he got the bulk of his teachings from, and who could forget Abraham Maslow, who came up specifically with this. self-love, self-esteem, self-actualization chart where self is at the top came from him as well who admitted on record, do you know what, and I will quote this, listen to this, the motivation for his life's work, what drove him on every day to come up with this stuff? He said it was the, listen, not just hatred, it was the absolute hatred of his mother. And I'm supposed to listen to this guy of how to have a fulfilling life? <laughs> what? And we've seen that. And it's one thing for the world to fall for that. I get that. They don't know. I didn't used to know. But I'm telling you, it's in the church. And there are people in the church who are trying to promote it so much so that they actually say, the Bible teaches this to act like Satan, self first. And I want to just dispel real quickly a couple passages that they tried to twist Okay, and then we got to move on, okay? And the first one is this one in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. Here's what they do, and here's how they twist it, okay? It says this, Jesus replied, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one's like it, love your neighbor as your self well hey there you can see it's plain as day folks it says right there we need to love ourselves more than god and certainly much more than other people right it says love your neighbor as yourself how many guys can say that when it starts coming out like a game show host it's sarcasm (laughs) you're catching on (laughs) what that's what they twisted to mean but that's not what the context means Take this apart biblically correctly if you read the context you'll see it's the byproduct of who first loving god First is what gives you the ability to love other people above yourself Because sometimes it needs to be supernatural love because sometimes they get on your nerves But god when you put him first gives you that ability Okay, number one number two if we're honest with ourselves. It's not that we have a difficulty loving ourselves That's not the point of the passage Right? Do you have to, every day, you go, I just really need to take care of myself. I really have to think about what I want to do today. I'm really That's natural. In fact, let's be honest, especially in marriages today, half of all marital problems come from what? One or both are being selfish. You're loving yourself first more than your spouse. Ah! Number three, there's only two commandments in that passage, not three. There's only two commandments. The greatest... Two commandments. Jesus spoke. Number one is love God. Number two, love your neighbor. That's it. Cut it off. He did not say that there were three, and he didn't say that that third one was to love yourself, and he didn't say to take this mythical third one that he wasn't even talking about, twist it, put it up on top, and actually say this and teach this in the church. If you don't love yourself first, you won't be able to love God and other people. What? And what did Satan say? I will ascend. I will be like God. I comes first. That's pretty crazy. Okay? Now, let's move on. The second one that they do is Matthew uh, chapter 10. Okay, let's take a look at that passage. Here's what he says. Okay, verse 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Now, back up there. Sparrows are sold for how much? A penny, that will come in handy in just a second, okay? And even the very hairs of your head are all number. So don't be, what? Afraid. Why? Because you are worth more than many sparrows. Well, folks, there you have it. According to some people, even the church today, it says right there, we need to acknowledge our self-worth, Okay? I mean, what did it say? It says, We are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, we need to acknowledge how incredibly worthy we are. In fact, some people go so far and say, You are worth so much that God had to die for you. No, He didn't. I don't know about you, but I was a wretch, headed to hell, deserving to go to hell. And God didn't have to save me, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. And when you teach that stuff, you cheapen his love and grace and mercy. He didn't have to die for us, okay? And by the way, that's not even what the context means. If you read the context, Jesus is saying, first of all, hello, this is not about worth. And if you want to press that, you ain't going to come up to much. Okay, he says right there, two sparrows of sold for how much? A penny. a penny, okay? Now, anybody with an accounting degree and a calculator, if you need one, uh, is going to realize this is not going to add up to a great worth, Okay, do the math. Let's say your mini, whatever your mini sparrows was, uh, was like 500 sparrows. You are now worth $2.50. <laughs> what? Come on. And let's say you've been really good. You're so, so awesome, and your mini sparrows are up to 1,000 sparrows. You still can't go to Carl's Jr. Five bucks. The passage is not talking about that. It's just crazy. Read the context. Here's what's awesome. The passage is dealing with not the so-called great worth of us apart from Christ. That's the key I'll get to in a second. Rather, it's dealing with God's great, phenomenal, faithful, providential care for us. Takes care of the birds, will take care of you. And that's why He says, don't inflate yourself. He says, Don't be afraid. I'll take care of you. It's talking about God's care for us. It's not talking about self-worth. Okay? And I'm telling you, folks, this false teaching, self-love, self-esteem, is actually ripping us off of where we should be excited about, where our true identity really lies. It's way better than these self-important, self-inflated self-statements about self is. What makes us so valuable with God is because of Jesus Christ. And it's who we are now as an act of love and mercy in Jesus Christ is what makes us so valuable not ourselves. It's what he's done for us. One guy says this, because of Jesus Christ, because he saved me, because he went to the cross, he says, I am now his beloved. I am his child. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings. I'm the, of the Lord of Lord. I am blameless. I'm spotless. I'm without blemish. I'm considered a beautiful bride. I'm blessed in the heavenly realms. I'm born again. I belong to God. I cannot be separated. He calls me a saint. I'm a citizen of heaven. I cannot lose my salvation. I'm complete in Christ, and I cannot be condemned. I'm dearly loved. I'm delivered. I have direct access to the the throne of god i'm dead to sin i'm healed of sin i can do all things through him who strengthens me i'm a friend of jesus i've been forgiven by jesus i'm established anointed and sealed by god i'm free from my past i'm kept by god's power i'm prayed for by christ and i'm not going to hell why because 22 years ago he saved this wretched life and made me into a new creation a new self that's hidden in him you get it? We're getting ripped off, people. Your focus and joy and peace comes from knowing who Christ has made you now. Not in self-inflation. Because here's the deal. We still blow it, don't we? And I don't care what kind of barbecue sauce you want to put on it. It stinks. they are talking about barbecue today, Father's Day. I'll never forget the guy who used this analogy. This is not even in my notes. It's called fresh barbecue bread, buddy. Anybody ever grow up, you know, kind of do a roommate scenario with your big brother and you didn't have a lot of cash and you didn't want to throw anything away because you're starving to death? Well, we would save hamburger even when it had that green film on it. hey, 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 hey. We'd scrape it off, all right? We'd scrape it off, make sure you're back down to the pink-ish. And then cook it really good. That's what happened to Pastor Billy. Yes, that's right, that's what happened to Pastor Billy. No, don't, don't tell Brandy. <laughs> but can you imagine taking a steak or something it's so bad that it's gone stinky and it's gone green and it's gone... It's gone. But you actually rationalized and said something like this, it's okay, I'll just put barbecue sauce on and cook it anyway. How many guys would say the deacons be visiting you this week? And me, All right. That's why the scripture says there's the old you and the new you. The old you who died with Jesus. The stinky one, All right? And, and you need to focus on the new you, hidden in Christ. This is where your value lies. And all this self-love, self-esteem is basically doing that. Oh, I'll just put barbecue sauce on this green rotten steak. And somehow that makes it better. That's what you do with self-inflated statement. No. I'm going to boast on Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go to sleep at night because I'm a new creature in him. And I am his beloved. Okay? And as we get ready to close, folks, the irony is the Bible warned a long time ago that, believe it or not, this twisting of the scripture, this focus on self is actually one of the biggest signs you're living in the last days. I didn't say that. Paul did. Watch this. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Paul says, but mark this, man. There's going to be terrible times in the last days. Remember, Jesus says it's going to be the worst time in the history of mankind. What's the next thing on the list? Why is it so terrible? People will be lovers of God and other people. Outward focus like Paul in the dungeon? No. Lovers of themselves and once you go down that route, it's all about self just like the guy in the video Here's what you get. They're gonna be lovers of money They're gonna be boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy without love unforgiving slanderous without self-control brutal not lovers of the good treacherous wrath Conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the form of godliness But denying his power have nothing to do with these people Paul says church Why? Because they are not only reaping what you sow. When you live like Satan, it's all about self. That's what you get, and that's what's being promoted in our society. It's a sign you're living in the last days, and it explains why our world is so messed up. Because we are teaching people to act like Satan. Wow. Flip it around. This is also why Jesus said this. You want to be his child? You want to be his disciple? Here's the first thing you better do. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, what's the first thing you do? You deny yourself. You deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come follow me. Folks, if we're going to experience the peace of God here at sunrise, and if there's any hope for our nation, if God's got a, I hope so, a final revival up his sleeve, I like what Brian Kinney's been saying for a couple weeks now. If God had mercy on the Ninevites and they had one revival before the hammer went down, after they responded, then there's hope for America. Right? It's true. But if that's going to happen, then we, his church, need to get back on track. We, his church, need to understand what this lie does and what it will produce. We not only have to stop it, we need to start listening to God's word and stop listening to the tuneful song of Satan that is producing this selfish egotistical, self-centered world, and it's destroying us, like this song shares. Let's watch this guy again. Let's take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce to you the one, the only, the father
1: of lies. I've been here since the beginning, know exactly how you work, I- Know all of your cravings Know what makes you go berserk Been lying from the start Just to make you play a part In my infinite rebellion Against the Father God Hate everything he is And I make you hate him too Make you hate him with your actions It's so easy for me to do Cause you like it Sin feels good for the ego You love it Oh come on baby Your head going all the time. I'm winding up like my perfect little puppet. You're my favorite robot. Welcome to the show, but I'm watching you, and all of hell is with me, too. Helping me make my life true. Oh, and there is a lie that works for everyone, everyone. A lie that opens up your heart so I can get me some more of your free will I'm winding you, winding you, give me the control That's why I'm telling you, selling you anything, everything Appealing to your human way of being And I use it all against you just to keep your eyes from seeing past the To your property, your jewelry, your cousin
0: Creepy? Well, I bet you he is laughing at us. If you think about it. He's got people leaving the church listening to his lies thinking that life and peace and contentment can come when we're consumed with our self. Selfish, self-centered, egotistical, loving self more than God, more than other people. Self-love, self-esteem, self-respect, self-absorption, self-pleasure, self, 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 give it to me, give it to me now, it's all about me, myself, and I, destroying ourselves and our country in the process. And yet, today, if we would just listen to God's word that says, no, 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 it's not when you're acting like Satan, it's when you're acting like Jesus is where you get peace, who is more concerned about others like Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross. Who is more concerned about other people, just like Paul when he's rotting in a dungeon. And he's more concerned about others like Thaddeus, who's having massive heart attacks. That's when we experience the peace of God. So, let's be those selfless Christians. Let's be that selfless church and get back to focusing more on God, the things of God, and the spiritual needs of other people, including sharing the gospel. And let's be that church that can honestly say, we're God's children and he's given us a life worth living for. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you One final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell